As we watch all these things happening around the world, we're talking about the eventually rising interest rates. It's going to happen again. We're seeing numbers. We're looking and getting economic forecasts. A lot of it heads back to the conflict in Ukraine. It's war. It's not a conflict with Russia. And that has ratcheted up in the last few days, which is really hard to imagine because it has been certainly tense times, important times since this happened so many months ago. We're going to get into it, where we are and where we could be going, what we're seeing and trying to get some analysis on the messages that are being sent and the options, not just for Vladimir Putin, but for NATO and the rest of the world. Sean Maloney joining us, professor of history at the Royal Military College, specializing in Cold War and nuclear issues. Sean, good evening. Good to see you again. All right, Sean, let me ask you, it's uh, not every day. We have Russia warning of World War III. Other analysts saying we're about as close to the Cuban Missile Crisis as we've ever been. Where are we, according to you? Well, I think this is a completely unique series of events in terms of the trajectory of this conflict. I wouldn't compare it to Cuba. Um, There's been constant nuclear signaling, movement of nuclear resources around. We've been allowed to see that. This is all part of deterrence. And the objective of deterrence is not to have a nuclear war. Um, However, we've seen Putin push the boundaries. He's used information operations to convince everybody we're on the brink. Um, But we're not seeing the actual movements of uh, the Russian nuclear forces, with some exceptions. All right, let me... Okay, let let me just ask you at that point, and it's an important one. We're always trying to get inside how he's thinking and what movies going to make and the things that he does or doesn't do are important as we watch somebody who's trying to orchestrate a conflict like this. And you're right. I mean, in many ways, it's the threat of this happening. It's kind of a sign of where he is. He needs power and fear is power. Is that part of perhaps what we're seeing? Absolutely. The ratcheting up of nuclear fear in the West is part of his plan. Um, Our objective is to remain calm and understand that uh, we do have overwhelming deterrent capability. And he's aware of that as well. Most of the population isn't. So they see the outward manifestations of their information operations. So yes, fear is definitely part of that. When you're dealing with Putin, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. Um, There's an audience for this, one inside Russia and one outside of Russia. So, for example, when he lobs a lot of cruise missiles at Ukraine, that satisfies certain elements within his structure um, that he's actually, quote unquote, doing something. Um, The fact that people have threatened uh, battlefield or tactical nuclear weapons use is part of that. Um, But he also has to deal with forces within his environment Uh, that could be threatening his position as leader of Russia. All right. And I'm going to get into that later, but let's just hold on Um, right now. What we're seeing and and what he does and his personal threats are also a big part of this, you know, as he wants this fear and he's using the word, like he's saying world war three, he wants to say it. He's been saying it since the beginning, we are seeing a response and we have seen the ferocity of the response or the strength of the response, certainly from the United States, really, go up as well. We are, though, we are seeing some like Macron saying, oh, no, let's work this out. We do not want a world war. Is it working in places? For whom? 
for Putin getting getting, you know, Macron to say, come on, yes. we have to really, you know, perhaps not saying negotiate. But is that where this is going? Because clearly yeah. Vladimir Putin has to create that. There's a tremendous amount of confusion about the statements made this morning uh, in the European environment. But I can tell you what I'm seeing in terms of what forces are doing. Um, what a lot of people don't see is that back on 16 September, the Russians ran a significant exercise in the Arctic. And this involved uh, two cruise missile submarines and a ballistic missile submarine and a command and control plane. And one of the submarines fired a number of conventional cruise missiles into the uh, Chukchoi Sea, which is right off of Alaska. And uh, that was obviously a signal. Um, the ballistic missile submarine, they're probably communicating with the plane just to see if they could communicate, make sure they could talk to it. But that allowed us to see what they were doing. So at the same time, NORAD mounted an exercise called Noble Defender, which involved Canada and U.S. forces up in the Beaufort Sea. Uh, and this is designed, uh, again, one, to ensure that Canada and the U.S. are operating together. Uh, effectively, uh, but it's also a signal to the other side that we're keeping a very close eye on the Arctic. So um, these are the things that are happening in the background while all this other activity is taking place. And also, as we're seeing a, a a, another strengthening of NATO, the last time you and I talked, we talked about how important that is. And now NATO holding nuclear talks after all these threats. Are you seeing all the right things? I mean, there is a process for responding. If this ever happened, as we see it unfold, does it make sense to you? It does. Uh, the exercises people are talking about in NATO are regularly held. They're designed to enhance deterrence by making sure everybody is on the same sheet of music, as it were, uh, and to make sure all the communication systems work. It, it's done deliberately to let the other side know that we have various levels of readiness can respond at whatever level we need to in the West to whatever Putin does. Now, what do you think about any of the voices that are suggesting perhaps it's time to give him a way out of this war. You and I talked about it the last time, a way out of this war is negotiation. Well, the only way out of the war really is to have Russia withdraw from Ukraine yeah. or to have, have Ukraine force Russia out of Ukraine. Um, the, the Ukrainians are not gonna, going to negotiate on this. It's non-negotiable. After the torture chambers and mass graves and level of violence directed at the Ukrainian civilian population, um, the kind of negotiations that people want to see are not viable in that environment. All right, Vladimir Putin and his options here. We do know today that he started to evacuate people from some of the annexed areas. I mean, clearly that is not a power move as you've been so rightly saying, he's, he's got an audience in Russia. It's been all important to him. The fact that he's dragging people out of areas that he announced that he annexed is not a good look or a power look for him right now. Well, he's playing a very weak hand. Uh, the more successful the Ukrainian conventional operations are in Ukraine, uh, the fewer options he has. And, uh, he, his best move is to end this and pull out of Ukraine. That basically stops all sorts of other behaviors. What about the involvement of other countries, too? We've seen him reaching out to Saudi Arabia, the shaking of hands. It's all part, again, of the tactical nuclear weapon. All these images, and they're sent out. Are they making any difference? Is any of it surprising? 
Not, not really. I've actually been watching very closely their information operations, and they've definitely attempted on many occasions to exploit the fear that they've generated. They want everybody to back off, and they want to be able to do whatever they want in Ukraine. And they're not getting that. The Ukrainians are fighting too hard. It is their land. It is These are their people. And for us to expect Ukraine to back off in, in this particular uh, environment is just, again, it's, it's not a viable option. They're not going to stop, and nor will they, and nor should they. What is the meaning as we're seeing the Iranian-made kamikaze drones that are being used? Again, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of friends, but he does have a few people lending him a couple of things. Well, I, I look at it this way. During the Second World War, um, as the National Socialist Germ Germany forces were being pushed back, they launched uh, V-1 cruise missiles and, and, and V-2 ballistic missiles in England to try to break England's will. And it didn't. It just strengthened it. Um, these attacks against Ukraine are doing exactly the same thing. They're, they're, again, he's playing from a hand of weakness. He's threatened to use or implied he's going to use nuclear weapons. Then he uses conventional weapons. Then he uses gray zone warfare against NATO allies. Uh, so a number of people I've been talking to really think that he's been, he's blinked again. He's done it before he, again, generating this level of fear within the West. He thinks he can exploit that. It's not working. It's true. As you say, blinked, it's quite an incredible thing to say. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back in just a moment and continue with this. But Sean, uh, as this conflict began, did you ever imagine you would be saying that in an interview? I think he's blinked. I think he blinked a couple of times earlier this year, <clears throat> but in this case, um, I didn't think that the conflict would necessarily go this far in the sense of the overt nuclear threats that he's made, he and, uh, he and the people that work for him. He just keeps on doing this and he keeps digging himself a deeper hole. Sean, let me ask you, I mean, some of the reporting and the analysis here has been so intriguing and I had to laugh and there's not much that can make you laugh at all this, but there was an article that somebody wrote today and said, what if Vladimir Putin falls out of a window? So metaphorically, we know what that means. You and I touched on it the last time we were talking, but as you say, I mean, he's got to appeal to Russia and more and more of these cracks are showing. How would it look? if time was up for Vladimir Putin in Russia? Well, there would definitely be some form of power transfer. It's a question of how violent it would be. It would be a question of which factions were involved. Um, I view the cruise missile strikes against uh, Ukraine as part of an appeasement effort for some of his ultra-nationalists and, and some of the really hardcore hawks like Katarov. Uh, so in this case, I figure that... Uh, there's definitely got there. The cracks are definitely showing. We can see them. They try to paper over them. They try to conceal them. Uh, but there are people there that if he did fall out of a window would step in. Now, what would that look like? Would they up the ante or would they pull out or would they try to freeze the conflict in place like they have in the past and try to negotiate? They've done this before where they grab bite-sized pieces of things and then stop and negotiate. That's not going to work this time with the, with the Ukrainians. No, it, it isn't going to work. The Ukrainians are, are all in and they're giving lives and everything they have to make this happen. Um, Sean, it clearly seems to be the only thing he has to do right now is to freeze it, warn, grab some fear. What needs to happen before he gets 
that the scenario that you just laid out in our previous segment there isn't working? Well, that's a good question. It's going to depend on whether or not the Kherson front falls or not. It's going to depend on whether or not the Ukrainians push them back into Luhansk and Donetsk. There are any number of activities. For example, today he's going to renege on the grain deal. He's trying everything he can to gain leverage on those of us that are supporting Ukraine. He wants to get us to quit supporting Ukraine because obviously supporting Ukraine is, is working in the favor of the Ukrainians. He's going to do absolutely everything he can. In Germany, uh, there were sabotage attacks against trains. There, it turns out one of their top cyber people was working for the Russians. So there's activities directed against Germany to keep it destabilized. There are activities being directed against Norway, threatening uh, possible energy resources up there. There are constant, there's constant air, aerial activity in the Baltic region around Kaliningrad. And then, of course, he's got deals going with, with Iran. He's trying to do everything he can to distract everybody from the main effort. The main effort is Ukraine and the Western support for Ukraine. I'm just, talk, it's yeah. not going to stop. Okay, let's talk about North America, the United States and Canada. We, we again, I, I think we touched upon this the last time we were talking, but there is a bigger chorus. What about those who seem to be sympathizing with Vladimir Putin, some outright from media personalities to even here in Canada, this, we, we have to avoid this war. There's talking points out there. We know where they're coming from. You and I discussed Chinese and Russian influence in Canada and how we should take Take it more seriously the last time we were talking. What are we seeing now? What's it evident of? Is this, is this, is this proof that those connections are there? Absolutely. And the way we protect ourselves against that is knowing exactly what we stand for and how we're going to do it. What is our value system? That is the basis of who we are in Canada and the basis of what the Americans are, the basis of our relationship in terms of defense and deterrent relationship. Ultimately, Western and Canadian, uh, uh, our security is based on the American nuclear deterrent and it's the ability to give it warning, the ability to protect it. We're under that umbrella. We're not neutral. We can't become neutral. It's not possible. So (laughs) we are where we were, frankly, in the 1950s. Wow. How, how important is this to America, leaders of the free world? And then we wonder, we're watching them. Um, democracy in an unbelievable move. We're wondering what democracy means. We had the former president take Vladimir Putin's side just a couple of days ago, saying the West forced him to do such a thing. Again, evidence of influence. But now we are seeing America get back and really be show leadership when it comes to NATO. Sean, how important is this for NATO, in your opinion, to democracy and also to America? It's absolutely fundamental to everything we've stood for, for the well, since the Second World War. The idea that this is somehow de- de- detached from the traje- trajectory of history uh, is unreal. Okay. So where we're at now is the, the next phase of that trajectory. We've been here before. And the question is, are we going to stay there? And from all intents, from what I've seen, we are, regardless of uh, political instability in Canada and the US or, or people questioning it. Keep in mind that we, that we entered the Second World War in 1939, the Americans in 1941. There was an American first movement back then led by Charles Lindbergh, which tried to keep the U.S. out of the war and negotiate with Hitler. Again, this is history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. 
It's true. You know, every time we see these, we're reminded of people who had the very, very same views. Is there a different way of dealing with it? Did they have as much influence, do you think? Or is misinformation right now and social media, all the stuff? I mean, there's a lot of different ways. You don't have to go and get stuff printed out on a press now to get your message out. Oh, absolutely. When you think social media, it speeds everything up. It makes the dissemination of messages a, a lot easier. There's no doubt about that. But what it boils down to, again, is what do we believe? What is our value system? And how, what are we willing to do to protect that? Sean, what are you looking for? What's important to you? I know you're seeing stuff the rest of us aren't. Where are your eyes these days? I'm watching for any indication of signaling to demonstrate deterrence. And I'm seeing it all over the place. So, and again, that hasn't really stopped since probably January. Uh, and it has, in fact, intensified at certain points in the crisis. We're at one of those points right now over the past six weeks. And that started with the, the Kharkiv offensive. When the Kharkiv offensive really rolled back the Russians, that's when the Russians started the panic. So this, they've conducted a series of moves. The West has conducted a series of other moves as well. Um, and again, we've been able to see some of that activity. And uh, it's pretty clear the other side knows what the West is capable of doing to, at any level uh, of conflict that they choose to operate on. And how do you feel about Canada's involvement right now? Well, when we're dealing with Canada, we are part of two alliance systems, NATO and NORAD. Uh, again, we've been there since the beginning. And this is, again, the latest phase of the trajectory of our relationship, uh, defending all of what we believe in. Um, the problem we've got is there's a, there, that this isn't taught in schools. So we don't have, our younger people don't have a framework to put mm -hmm. this in and they're more easily swayed by what's going on in the social media world. You don't, there are no simple solutions to this and it, we have to rely on what, what has worked in the past and we need to understand the past. And I'm not sure that we're all there in terms of our society because none of this gets taught in school as far as I'm aware. When I get students at, at, in university that definitely have not received this in high school. The fact that we are, there's a belief system that Canada is some kind of neutral UN peacekeeper and, and that's not accurate historically. Finally, let me ask you very, very quickly here. We're almost out of time, but when you look in all the things we've said about Vladimir Putin and the despair he must be feeling and the confidence and all the things we thought about Russia and then we we found out they're not so true. We thought it would take days. We were impressed in the first couple of days with Ukraine. And now look at where we are. What are you thinking? Because this is your, this is your work. This is what you look at. What are you thinking about what's happening right now? Our opponents have a completely incompatible view of how the world operates. On an ideological view, economic view, it is completely unrealistic. And when, we, when I read this stuff, it comes across as insane. Um, and we don't really talk about that here. To them, it's not. They've had probably 20 years, 15 to 20 years to inculate this with their population. And it's a question of uh, milieu control, if you will. So how are we going to convince them to alter their worldview? That has to be almost a blunt instrument. Talking about it isn't going to solve this. Sean Maloney, professor of history at the Royal Military College, specializing in Cold War and nuclear issues. Thank you, Sean. You have no a problem. nice night. Thank you kindly. All right. We're going to take a break and we will return some heavy stuff there, but necessary stuff. I'm Arlene Bynum. This is On Point.